uh, we got a little bit of follow-up from more than just one or two people. What I love about this piece of follow-up is I have zero recollection of, of what it's referring to. I have absolutely <laughs> no idea what this is referring to I, at all. I almost had no recollection, and you'll understand why in a second. So uh, the the entry in the show notes reads, F-U colon, that stands for follow-up. F-U. <laughs> that stands for follow-up. Hi, Sierra. Uh, maybe Casey saw Arcadia, and that's all my had to go Maybe you did, on. huh? Yep, so, that's it. <laughs> so what this is regarding is when we were talking about you seeing um, uh, Shakespeare at Shakespeare's Theater, I had said that, oh, you know, when my nan and I went to uh, London, we saw a, a show that was really, really weird, and it was about math, and I don't really remember it, but it was super odd. And a couple of people wrote in based on my just colossally mm. bad description and said, oh, I bet it was Arcadia. And this was 22-ish years ago, and I can barely remember what I ate for dinner tonight. So... I wouldn't trust my memory on this. However, at a glance, it sounds like it's probably it. And apparently this was like some influential or or important play. 13-year-old me hated it, mostly because I didn't, well, I shouldn't say I hated it. I just didn't understand any of it, and it seems so disjoint and odd to me. But a couple of people, and I I apologize, I never never grabbed names from Twitter because I'm a terrible host, but uh, two or three people wrote in and said, hey, maybe it's Arcadia, and uh, I think you're right. Um. I remember you saying that you went to the theater with your grandma. I do not remember any of the description of the play that you gave. That's fine. It's not a big deal. But I just thought it was interesting that this was something that I gave just such a terrible description of that probably consisted of two sentences. But uh, two or three people picked it up and were like, oh, that's what it is. So, I mean, I don't know for sure, but uh, I bet you I bet you they're right. We had a couple of individuals write in um, to give you some further encouragement to continue your running efforts. Mm-hmm. So David, David did the couch to 5K uh, like you did, and he now uses the app RunKeeper. So this is David's pitch for why you should use RunKeeper. It features lots of different training plans that focus on different areas of improving your running. Some are free, some are additional in-app purchase, Um, and it also has a good watch app. David has found that the app helps him create a training plan that fits into his schedule. So like he does some short runs in the week and a long run on the weekend, and having done the couch to 5K and then keeping up the running with RunKeeper as the guide, as the tool, um, David actually very recently ran his first half marathon. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, And I actually have... Uh, downloaded RunKeeper in part because of David and a few other people who have said the same thing. And it is very, very good. Right now, I'm just using it to continue to monitor my running and like have a log of it because I'm kind of a uh, a, a data pack rat and I just want to, I feel like I want to put this information somewhere. Um, I'm not presently actively training. And to be honest, I haven't run in almost a week because as I think I explained on the show, I don't run the day of or the day after ATP because it's bad for my eyes for reasons that I don't want to go into right now and or I'm exhausted. And so uh, we're recording ATP. We recorded last night. We recorded Thursday. So it's going to be an off week. I'm going to drop a day this week. Um, but I'm trying to keep up with it. And uh, in the grand scheme of things, I am keeping up with it, which is good. And RunKeeper is, uh, definitely seems to be a very good app. Hugh also wants to urge you to not give up running. Um, (laughs) He says right after I explain why I'm kind of sort of giving it up. (laughs) uh, He says, keep jogging the 5K. 
like make it a habit to, to regularly run the 5k mm-hmm. and then Hugh also recommends looking out for something like a fun run in your local area um, to sign up for and give yourself something to to aim for and it also gives you something fun to participate in and then also recommended frequently revisiting the oatmeal comic about mm-hmm. long running for inspiration yeah, that comic's about doing like eight gazillion mile runs, which is not something I yeah, will long ever distance. do. But still, it's uh, it's a very good comic, and uh, yeah, that's that's a very good recommendation. And, and my plan is to do five Ks, generally speaking, Monday, Tuesday, Friday. I think is what I was doing, and then um, and then what I'm considering doing is maybe going a day on the weekend as well. Which brings me to our final piece of running related follow up. Um, and that's a couple of people wrote in saying that Disney is in Walt Disney world does marathons, which I was aware of, and they'll do like half marathons and full marathons. They might even do a five or 10 K or something like that. But, um, but among other things, they have a site and I don't have the URL handy and I might forget to put in the show notes. So I apologize. I'm sure you can look for it, but they have a site where there's some official like Disney trainer guy and he has put together um, a series of different training programs. So you can say, hey, I am an okay runner and I would like to be able to run a 10K. And what's interesting about these training programs is a lot of them, not unlike what David was saying about RunKeeper, uh, a lot of them are oriented toward doing only two or three runs a week. And oftentimes it's like one really big run ostensibly on a weekend and then a couple of like maintenance runs during the week. At this point, since I'm not actively trying to hit a 10K or a half marathon or anything like that, I don't plan on using any of these training programs but i did copy the url down somewhere (laughs) and my intention is to uh eventually you know sign up for a 10k or a half marathon or something like that but for the time being i just hope that i stick with it and i know i just made a speech about how i can't this week but this is an odd week um but i i do kind of miss it actually it's been longer than i usually go and and i'm looking forward to running tomorrow morning so um I am presently sticking with it. We'll see what happens once it's dark when I run and once it's freezing when I run. That's when the the real test will be. We'll see if I'm only a half a year runner, you know, only in the warm weather. But we'll see what happens. So I found this run Disney thing. Jeff Galloway is the person's name. Oh, excellent. And there are a bunch of these programs. And my question is, do these programs have any specific disney focus to them or are they just programs to help you run that specific race at disney i think it's the latter i think it's that disney does and i'm making this up this is not right but let's just say for the sake of discussion disney does a 12k marathon so here is a program that will get you to any 12k marathon and 12k is like a weird marathon distance i actually don't think that's the case i think their marathons are normal marathon distance but what i'm driving at is it's it's just here are programs that will get you in shape for marathons of varying distance from varying starting points. I think even one or two of them were like, hey, I've run a 5K before. Now I'd like to run a half marathon or something like that, which would be applicable to me. So um, they're basically just PDFs that you can print out and you know calendars and whatnot that you can just track your progress, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, but it seemed really good. And it seemed kind of like what the Couch to 5K did, which was, you know, in that case, it was jog a little, walk a little, jog a little, walk a little. In this case, it's like, do a day where you run a whole lot. Do a day when you run a little. Do a day when you run a little. Do a day when you run a whole lot, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, it, I, I think it, there will come a time that I will try that. But for right now, I just want to get used to running 5Ks on a regular basis. Tell me about your wedding. 
Yeah, so update. We found a couple of photographers that we like. We have some calls this week with them um, to go over some of the particulars. Uh, our planner has already confirmed to them in advance that they're more than happy with our photos not being shared. Um, <laughs> why, why is that funny to well, you? Well, I'm just wondering. I can I can imagine it's like, hi, I'm um whatever wedding planner I'm calling on behalf of my clients, and you know they're really really particular about not having their photos shared. Oh, you're working for Mike Hurley. <laughs> I've heard about this guy. Yeah, exactly. As He's long as causing that, rifts in the photographer community right yeah, now. As long as it's not Casey, I'm happy to take his pictures. That Casey guy, though, oof, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Because he'll just think I'm going to sell his photos to stock photography websites. Right, right. So anyway, so they've agreed that they will not share your stuff. Without prior confirmation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, from us. Uh, one of them uh, was more like... One of them was more forthcoming or particular in the information that they shared. Like one of them, they both were kind of just like, yeah, no, it's totally fine. It's the client's discretion that like we won't do anything without them checking. And then, But one of them went further and said like anything, even like sharing an image with no faces in on Instagram, they would get confirmation from us oh, by nice. email beforehand. So like, you know, I'm willing to, to give a little like... That you know, if this person wants to include some of our images either on their website or um, on their social media or whatever, as long as we agree to them in advance, then I'm fine, right? Like, if it's a nice yeah, picture yeah. of the two of us and like some social media posts of some elements from the big day, I'm totally cool with it. My thing is just like, I don't want my family to have their fo- like photos of them shared and also people that are coming because all of a, a large amount of people that are coming also are private people in their own ways and and or have mostly larger followings online than I do so I'm just like you know I just it's just such a minefield that it's just best to share basically nothing so mm-hmm. that's kind of uh, that's kind of where we are and I'm I'm happy that everybody uh, so far is like totally cool with it so that's awesome. Well, good luck. I hope it works out okay. What else is going on wedding-wise? Um, Adina is going home to Romania this weekend, um, and the wedding's off. So <laughs> that's... <laughs> Just like uh, that. And that's it. That's, she's done. She's like, Yo, I'm not going to take this anymore. You're crazy about the photographers. And then that was that. No, she's going to look at wedding dresses for the first time. So she's... Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited for her. Um, is she going with her mom? Yeah, and some friends. So it's why she's going back to Romania to do it. So yeah, I'm really excited for her. This is something that I've been urging her to do, um, to go back to Romania to do this, because, you know, uh, most of the people that she would want to share this thing with, um, this whole experience would be in Romania. And there was something that I kind of didn't like about the thought of her going, <laughs> trying on wedding dresses on her own in a place in oh, London. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm pleased that she's going to do that. Plus, it'll be so much cheaper. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not that that's the reason but it w- is only a benefit Indeed. Um, obviously I am continuing to and will continue to be sharing all of these interesting little tidbits on this show but if you are interested in a much less serious version of this discussion mm. um, I recommend that you check out uh, a show that me and Matt Alexander host, which mm. has in the past been called Bonanza, but has recently been completely renamed and rebranded to Bonanza the Wedding Year, in which Matt has decided mm. that he wants to try and take over the planning of our wedding. Um, so that is a thing that you can go and check out. And there will be episodes mm-hmm. on a more regular schedule um, as Matt is trying to do his duties as uh, world's greatest man. 
at my wedding. The same that I did for him, but he is taking it um, significantly more seriously. Mm-hmm. You can keep mm-hmm as much as you like. Do you remember the ATP analog agreement that you destroyed within mere moments of me trying to arrange it? <laughs> I, re- I believe the agreement was that I would talk about feelings with you and everything else with them, but I don't remember how and it, it didn't, destroyed it. And it didn't last for more than a week. How did I destroy I it? Because you immediately had a touchy-feely baby discussion on, <laughs> on right. ATP. So... Yes, yes, yes. I was so furious listening to that bonanza, and yet simultaneously so excited. So, uh, yeah, we'll see where this goes, Mike Hurley. Yeah, we weren't very kind to you. Okay. See how it is. <laughs> I'm world's worst man, apparently. I see how it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Can you cheer me up, please? Do, do you want me to sing to you? Like, what do you need? No. I want you to tell me about something that's awesome. I can most certainly do that. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at Linode. Linode lets you get up, set up in seconds with fast powerful hosting. Their tools are easy to understand and let you choose your resources on Linux Distro, giving you the power and flexibility that you need. And their plans start at just $5 a month for a Linux server with one gigabyte of RAM in the Linode cloud. Linode has over 400,000 customers, all serviced by a friendly 24-7 support team. You can email them, call them, or even chat over IRC in the Linode community. If you need help, they are there to help you. They have a control panel, which is beautifully designed to a focus on ease and simplicity. It allows you to deploy, boot, resize, and clone your virtual server in just a few clicks. They have comprehensive guides and support documentation to teach you everything you need to know for setting up and managing a virtual servers. They feature two-factor authentication to keep you safe, and you can create a snapshot images of your disk volumes for backup and replication. Linode is the full package for your server's infrastructure needs. They have the power you require and the infrastructure and assistance that you want. Linode have fantastic pricing options available too. You can get a server with one gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month and go all the way up to 16 gigabytes of RAM for $60 a month. Across the board, Linode offer twice the amount of RAM that you're going to get elsewhere. As a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com slash analog, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. Go to linode.com slash analog. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash analog to learn more. Sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit or use the promo code analog2017 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for their support of this show. So you and I both went to the movies, and mm-hmm. we both saw a movie. Yeah. So here's a super, really important thing. We are not going to talk about the plot of the movie Baby Driver in any way. There are no spoilers in this discussion. But Dad... So if you haven't seen... We're not doing it because uh, <laughs> we're not doing it. Uh, you know, we have already, um, over the last few months, and will continue for like the next three months to have spoiler discussions, which mean that some people have to, like, listen to episodes later, or some people are having to, like, I don't know, skip parts of the episode backwards and forwards right now. I don't want to, like, make a spoiler sandwich around Relay Your Feels this week. That just feels unfair. Um, 
but we are both referencing Baby Driver, which is a movie that both me and Casey have been waiting for for a long time. Me, because it's an Edgar Wright movie, and I love all of Edgar Wright movies, and Casey, because it has cars in it, is what I assume. <laughs> it's pretty much Gen- accurate. Right? <laughs> uh, because, you know, as uh, Relay FM members will know, Casey doesn't love every Edgar Wright movie um, <laughs> that he's shown. Indeed. Much to the dismay and heartbreak of the people that love him. Um, <laughs> we both saw th- have seen this movie. Uh, I think it's both it's fair to say that we both really, really enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I would say, I mean, I will want to see it once or twice more. I think it might be might be my favorite Edgar Wright movie. Oh. Because it was just absolutely superb. I... Loved it, and I was on the edge of my seat. It's a, it's a really, really great movie. It is a movie, um, if I could give a, a, a spoiler-free review, because I've had some people say to me, oh, I don't want to see a movie about cars. It isn't a car movie. There no. are cars in the movie, but the cars are used like any kind of plot item in a movie, right? It's like in the way that like you wouldn't call James Bond a gun movie. I mean, some people that's might, but I don't actually, think that's how you'd think no, of it. No, no, no. That's a good analogy. I never thought of it that way, but yes, I think that's a really good analogy. Like, there are cars. Cars are driven, but the movie is not about the cars. Um, so, so yeah, that, that that's what I'll say about it. It is fantastic. Um, it is an absolute tour de force of directorial choices from Edgar Wright, as always, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like an Edgar Wright movie in the way that his last four movies have felt like Edgar Wright movies. There, there are different, different choices that he makes about his directorial style uh, that I really enjoy. The reason that we're kind of talking about this at all is that I wanted to talk about um, some Twitter exchanges that I've had or some things that happened to me on Twitter recently and what it's made me think about social media again uh, from a renewed and and kind of uh, opposite perspective to the way that I usually interact with social media. So I would say that in the modern day, we can live in a wonderful world in which you can enjoy something and you can tell the person that you enjoy it. Right? That is a great thing. I think this is something that me and you benefit from every single day. Mm-hmm. That we are in a, a great position where we can make stuff creatively. We can put it out to the world. And people can tell us what they like. Um, also what they don't like. And we can acknowledge, <laughs> converse. No, I'm, I'm being serious. Yeah, yeah, it's not meant yeah. to be a joke, right? I, I took a, a pause, but the pause wasn't for comedic effect but like you know people can tell us what they like and don't like we can choose to acknowledge converse um there can be criticism both constructively um and non-constructively there can be praise there can be praise that has used to it there can be praise which is purely just like i love this thing not like i love it you know i love this thing is amazing but sometimes it's i love this thing because so you can you can learn from the criticism you know and and the, the positivity like there is a lot of really great stuff about that right like and and me and you have that on a, on a scale every day and um and it it's great right it's it's a great thing to get um but i think the thing that i've maybe so at some points along the way lost track of is how me interacting with the people that are telling me these things can can have everybody coming away from it feeling really good right yep the reason i say this is uh, i tweeted about seeing baby driver um and i said that uh, at edgar wright is a bloody genius 
and that you need to see Baby Driver. That was kind of uh, my first thing. That was what I said here. And I started talking to some people about it, right? Because people were uh, like asking me what I thought and, and getting into the conversations. And not too long after, Edgar Wright, the, the, the creator, the writer, the director of the movie, he faved the tweet, which was a kind of mind-boggling thing to me. <laughs> like, you know, you do these things and you, you don't really ex- necessarily, I don't think I don't think you really expect someone like him to be a to even see it, yeah. right? Like it feels like quite a quite a thing to assume that he would see it because I mean, the man's pretty busy he has 653,000 followers i saw the movie on like a sunday night and i mean just kind of because I, I was interested right after he faved the tweet i was interested so i kind of went through and started looking at his mention volume like to see how many times he's been yeah mentioned. exactly Right, so I started looking to see like how many tweets is he receiving, right? Because I was like, if you know, if, if I'm the only person tweeting about this today, then maybe it would make sense. But no, like it was a Sunday night, so many people were going to see the movie, and he was just be like, just getting tons and tons and tons, and he faved the tweet, and I, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I've seen a movie, I've tweeted about the movie to give appreciation to my favorite director and he has read it like i have been able to speak to him directly and tell him i love his movie like this is such a a, an insane thing for me like i have been watching and enjoying and loving his movies for years he is responsible for making three of my favorite movies of all time and you know, and I've said that many times, right? Like I've made people watch them. I've made you watch them. Um, <laughs> and it was just this incredible moment for me to to know that I have added one stone to his happiness pile for that day, right? Like that was incredible for me. It did get a little bit better though. I was having a conversation with my friend, Mark Bramhill, I don't recommend you necessarily read this conversation because there are some kind of plot discussion in this. So uh, what I'll say is that uh, Mark gave uh, a complaint that he f- like that he felt about the movie, but me personally, um, I felt the exact opposite way for him and explained why. It's very it's just a very simple tweet. So, like, he said, I didn't like it because this happened. And I said, oh, no, I loved it because this happened. Here's why. And he and then Edgar Wright faved that tweet, which I took as uh, an implicit, actually explicit, uh, ag- acknowledgement and agreement to my point of view. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I like that one even more because it was like, you are right, Mike. <laughs> God, the last thing we need is Mike is right or Mike was right. I didn't even right. think of that. Oh, How God. did I not think of that? Oh, Hashtag Mike was right, said Edgar oh, Wright. 
God. Oh, God. Oh, I quit. I quit. Mike show. and Edgar are right. Oh, God. Stop. Stop. Okay. This is fantastic. Can you stop? Oh, my God. I've created a monster. Wow. Look at me now. Wow. But I was... Yeah, so this this one, I, I really... I loved that because it was like... I don't know. There, there was just this this feeling of like him agree I don't know like the him agreeing with me uh was was a real was just like a really oh like not necessarily agreeing but but liking my point of view you know like t- that he would fave that tweet because it was just a conversation between me and Mark but because of the way Twitter works these days, neither of us have removed him from the conversation, right? <laughs> and there was yeah. just my thought that, like, he was, he, like, I assume read the conversation because why would you, it's not, yeah, I was, I was really, really blown away by it. Now, I will say that there is a possibility that because I am a verified Twitter user, that my stuff will have popped up for him in a way that was easier for him to see it in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if people know this um, or not, but if you use the official Twitter app and you are a verified user, you get some additional views in the app, which allow you to see um, notifications filtered to just from other verified users. Did you know this? Yeah, yeah. So, like, he, you know, if he was looking in the verified tab, he would maybe see me and see my tweets. But um, irrespective of it, it doesn't change it for the fact that he still interacted with me in this way, like this very small way, which was such... It really, really, it made my day. Like, it really did. And I haven't felt like this in a long time. Like, I remember that I used to feel like this, you know, like when there were... Uh, YouTubers and and podcasters that I would talk to. I mean, it happens every now and then um, when I would like when I if say if I tweet one of my favorite YouTubers who has like millions of subscribers, that's kind of a cool thing. But I still kind of get that feeling of like, yeah, but we're all independent content creators here, you know, like like yeah, I absolutely love their work, but we're you know we're all in this together, you know, like it just has mm-hmm, a different mm-hmm. feeling. But this is like bona fide celebrity, like old media makes movies i've been a fan of his work for over 10 years like this was like a really big deal for me and it's such a silly thing right but it felt it felt it just felt good and yeah i was i was just really excited about it you know it's especially on this show it's tough because we've had such a hate love relationship with twitter not a love hate relationship with twitter but well, this is why i wanted to talk about it yeah. right because um, of this like love hate that 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 we have with the service yeah and the thing of it is is that for all its foibles for all its quirks for all its issues for all its disastrous treatment of uh, of trolls or really the the people who are being trolled twitter in is somewhat unique in that it can, I'm going to use the word elevate, but that's not really the word I'm looking for, but it can elevate some dummies perspective in front of a person who would otherwise never see it. And I'm talking about myself. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about any of us, right? Like I'm just a nobody and I can't think of a specific example like yours, but there've certainly been times that someone I deeply respect and that I would have no business ever interacting with 
ever. You've has, had a Top Gear fave. Yeah, and uh, James right? replied like to James me. James May? Yeah, I think I don't know if it was a fave, but he did reply to a thread that I started, but I think he was yeah. he replied to somebody else in the thread. But anyway, so yeah, that's a great example. So like, there is no chance I will ever meet James, James May. None, zero. But in, in, in just a brief moment that he surely has forgotten, I got a reply, well, somebody on the thread got a reply from James May. Similarly, uh, Tiff Nadell, who used to be on Top Gear and was on Fifth Gear for a long time, uh, I asked him a question or like said, oh, I really enjoyed such and such segment of such and such show. And he replied and was like, oh, yeah, thanks. That was a lot of fun to record, you know, and that was directly to me. And that's that's amazing. And Twitter, more than any other platform I've ever been a part of, permits that or encourages that in a way nothing else does. And as much as Twitter is a total cesspool, that is something that is exceptionally powerful exceptionally cool and kind of in this case mutually beneficial right because as you said earlier you threw a little stone or a pebble or a rock onto onto his quarry of love that he was getting that day right but mm-hmm. not only did you throw a stone to his quarry but he threw one back to you it was it was a, a big star- one it was, it was, it was a, a bigger big one my way it was, right? a big, it was a boulder yeah. and it was a star-shaped boulder but it was still a boulder right and and that's exceptionally cool and you know, and, I think it's and heart-shaped. Oh, you're right. You're right. It is heart-shaped now. I forgot. Mm-hmm. God, I'm so old. I prefer the hearts to the stars, by the way. I can see it either way. I used to, I was pretty bothered by the heart at first, but now I'm kind of whatever. No, hearts are better than stars because a heart implicitly means love, which is nicer than just, like, yeah, star. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But anyway, but the point is, is that that is an exceptionally cool thing that that you know i would never have access to in general like why would anyone ever pay attention to me and the really bananas mind bending thing about this conversation is there's probably at least one person that has gotten a fave or a reply or a retweet from you or me that felt this way too and for me to think of myself as the edgar wright in this situation is like that's su- in a good way. It's a great thing. It's a super awesome thing, but it's a weird thing. Yeah, I don't really like to talk about it. Um, yeah, because it sounds like, but, oh, look at me, I'm so special, and I don't mean it that way at all. It's just, yeah, I, I'm humbled by it that 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 is that a person would put either of us on any sort of pedestal, even if it's you know, even if this pedestal is one tenth as tall as the one that Edgar Wright sits sits atop, especially in your brain, but you know, to be on a pedestal at all, that's that's bananas. That's so crazy and so awesome and so I, I'm just so unbelievably thankful that that anyone would would even for a fleeting moment think of me even slightly that way. Ansel Elgore, who uh, plays Baby, also followed me on Twitter that evening. What? <laughs> I don't know why. Did you tweet uh, something with him in the... In nope. the tw- really? Yeah. Huh. Um, he follows like 7,000 people. Um, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I don't know how he came across me, in all honesty. It was the same evening. Um, but I didn't... I didn't tweet at him. Uh, I didn't tweet anything with any hashtags um, or, or any like baby driver Twitter account. I don't know how he found me. 
Uh, he follows a selection of other like YouTubers and and such. He also follows some wrestling accounts. <laughs> Maybe that's <laughs> why. Just every Maybe now he and then, the every. So here's the thing that I've not mentioned before: there is a bona fide WWE superstar who goes by the ring name Fandango, who follows me on Twitter. Really? Yeah, and I and and this is of and like, like just a couple of hundred accounts that he follows and i have absolutely no idea why he does he follows no account that is like me right like he doesn't follow any other technology focused accounts um i don't know how he found me he follows 580 people and he's followed me for a, quite a long time now so I figure if he uses Twitter with any regularity, I will pop up saying all the rubbish that I say, <laughs> tweeting about my podcasts. I figure he would have unfollowed me by now. I have no idea why this person follows me. Both of my brothers say to me, I should ask him. I have to try and to explain to them why I think that that is kind of uncool mm-hmm. to do. No, it's like, hey, buddy, why do you, uh, just, just out of interest, how did you find me? Sorry, so I both want to ask Ansel Elgar and Fandango why they follow me on Twitter, but I won't because it's uncouth, right? Yeah. And again, old analog listeners out there in the world, don't try and solve this for me uh, because it's not cool, man. It's not a good look. It's not a good look. If either of those two listen to this podcast, they can tell me at that point. We're all good. (laughs) But I really doubt it. And I'm baffled. I am absolutely baffled about how this happens. So, like, you know, if we're going to keep going down this route, a couple of other weird, I think, accounts that follow me. Um, Barack Obama follows me on Twitter. uh, And so does Stephen Fry. Those accounts both follow me. So the Stephen Fry one... um, this was uh, before it was uncool to do so. So, like, Stephen Fry followed me, and he was following, like, a small, like, a low thousand number, I think, of accounts. I've had, I've said this on the show before, yeah, I have. think, that I have had direct message conversations mm-hmm. with Stephen mm-hmm. Fry. Um, then his account got hacked on Twitter, and, like, they followed, it was like a bug. It wasn't like a hack, it was like a bug. This was a long time ago. And this account, like whoever it was that did it to him, made him basically follow everyone he f- that followed him. So he started following like 50,000 accounts. And then since then, he kind of just like, just didn't bother with it anymore, which I totally understand because how are you going to fix that? Right? Like, unless Twitter follows, fixes that for you, how do you fix yeah, that? Yeah, like, yeah. you can't fix that. Um, Barack Obama, I have no idea why Barack Obama follows me. Um, I think there was a time period in which Barack Obama's Twitter account was following anyone that followed him, which is why he follows 629,000 people. Um, but yeah, it is, it's just super funny to go to twitter.com slash Barack Obama and see follows you on the page. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing, Obama? What are you doing? Thanks, Obama, for the follow, I guess. Wow. Wow. It's pretty good, right? We should just end the show right there. (laughs) uh, They're the weirdest Twitter things that have happened to me, I think. But yeah, those... 
Ansel Elgort, no idea. Fandango from WWE, no idea. Um, and I try not to think about these people when I'm tweeting. Yeah, I know that feeling. You know, one of these days, and it's probably not this time, and it's probably not going to be for a while, but one of these days we're going to mention somebody that follows us on Twitter that we don't understand in this show, the one that is not our most popular show between the two of us. And that person is going to come out of the woodwork. Like, there's several athletes that follow me, and I don't have the faintest freaking idea why. Um, and that that person is going to come out of the woodwork and be like, oh, it's because I really love analog. And that was kind of that was kind of awesome that you brought me up. And we're going to basically melt into a puddle and die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how it's going to go. Yeah. yeah there yeah. is a, uh, a tennis pro that follows me. And I think he listens to this show. Really? Yeah. All right. If you're that person, do uh, do write us. If that it's, if we are giving you a. This is not creepy. This is not. This is not unusual. You you have a full get out of jail free card. Any if hey if you are any person that could ostensibly and this is not tooting your own horn. Like you know, if you're kind of like we're not famous. We're we're lightly known in a very very small <laughs> bubble, right? If you're legitimately famous and you listen to this show, this garbage that the two of us are putting out there every couple of weeks, let us know. I'd love to hear how the heck you stumbled on us. Here's that thing about legit famous. So this, I I wonder about this. How many people have to know your name for you to be famous? I understand your question. I'm trying to come up with an actual legitimate answer. Right? Like, if somebody tells you, oh, I'm on TV, Mm -hmm. right? Just that phrase, Mm -hmm. like, I'm on television. Do you think they're famous? Like, are they a famous person? I think if your name could reasonably, I'd say if there's a 50-50 shot that your name would be known by a diverse cross-section of either the country or the world. I mean, I guess there's different levels of fame, right? But let's just say, I don't think diverse cross-section is a, is a, I see why you're going with that, right? Because you're trying to exclude yourself. Yeah. But I don't think that that's fair because what if, what if 2 million people know you, but those 2 million people are all white dudes? Then... I don't know if you're famous. You're still no. You are still famous. Two million people know who you are. That makes know. you famous. I don't know. It makes you famous. It does. I I can I know why you're trying to say this. I under, I can appreciate what you're going for here. But if millions of people know who you are, you are famous. Just because it is like every fame brings with it a, an undiverse group of people yeah i and, and, and similarly like flip that i understand what you're going for there but like i guess what i'm thinking is let's take uh triple h from from wrestling mm-hmm. i don't care about wrestling but i know who triple h is or andy roddick i don't care about tennis but i know who andy roddick is like right but they're the most famous uh, right but the, I mean, it's not like a baseball player it's not like in Derek their Jeter. career Sure. Okay. That's. I guess that's fair. But it's not like a Derek Jeter or Michael Jordan or something like that, or you know, LeBron James. Where? Okay. What about someone in Formula One? Oh, they're legitimately famous because most of the planet cares about Formula One. It's just weirdo Americans. No, it doesn't. That is so unbelievably wrong. That's what I've always been told. Most of the planet cares about Formula One. That is so wrong, isn't it? I thought it was because you have to. No, it's that's not true, right? Because. 
I'm not trying to argue. I, I really was told it's like more popular than soccer it, or something. Maybe it is, but that's still not most of the planet. Most of the planet doesn't care about soccer. I guess. I mean, I, I, maybe I should have phrased it as most of the planet. What I mean to say is across wildly diverse incomes and ge- geographies and whatnot, a lot of people care about soccer. A lot of people care about F1 is, I guess, a sure better way of phrasing it. But there's still niches. You know, I mean, there's demographics and then there are like places in the world. I don't know. Okay, so My- how about this? It, because you and I can go back and forth about this forever and we have a lot more to cover. So if you have a very good metric that can describe famosity, famousness, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, if you can fit it in a tweet, and only if you can fit it in a tweet, tweet it one of us, I guess me, since I'm volunteering this. You're, you're, or, the way that you phrased it is probably the best way to phrase it, but I just don't think it's correct because I just I just think that like, Saying it's a diverse group of people makes it too easy when there are many people that are famous, like legitimately would be considered famous, but are only known by a portion of the world. But like they are famous people because people know who they are. Do you think of yourself as famous? Within my community. Fair enough. Well, you know, like... I think anyone that can go to a place and be stopped on the street brings with it an element of fame inside of the area that they're in. So there's as two far stages. as technology podcasts that are focused primarily on Apple, in that community of however many people that is, I have an element of fame. Yes. So I guess there's there's two levels of fame, which is kind of where this conversation started, right? There's micro famous. and macro. Yeah. Okay. Fa- fa- yeah. Ma- micro famous, which is hey. It may be a very small little pond that you swim in, but you are a big fish in that pond. And then there's macro famous, which is no legitimately on a maybe global, maybe national, whatever, on a on a very large scale, you are actually well known. Mm-hmm. I still think diversity is applicable there to get to like the top tier of famousness. No, no, no. But I understand because why there you're are so I'm many people that are in people magazine that if like they bit me on the butt, I wouldn't know who they were, but they're <laughs> famous. <laughs> Make for an interesting story though. Remember that time that Justin Bieber bit my ass? Well, I'd know who Justin Bieber was, but do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do. Like, I do. There are just like, a, there are people I could walk past on the street and wouldn't right. Colin McGregor, you know, who Colin McGregor is, I know the name, but um, I can't place him. He's an MMA fighter, and he's about to, to fight Floyd Mayweather. Oh, yes, right? yes, 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 yes. And it's going to be one of the biggest sporting events of all time. Mm-hmm. I could walk past Colin McGregor or Floyd Mayweather on the street, and I wouldn't know who they were. I know their names, but I wouldn't know who they were. Yeah, I guess that's fair. You know, and, and they're, they're two of the most famous people on the planet right now because of what they're about to do in a week or two. Yeah. That's fair. I don't know. I, I can't come up with a... I understand why you're pumping the brakes on my diversity thing, but I can't come up with a better answer. No, it's like I'm saying, I think that it is perfectly fair. Like, it is a good thing. I just think that fame comes in lots of walks, right? Yeah. And it's not necessarily about size or group. But I'm wondering... The reason that we got onto this is... I My question was... At what? How many people have to know your name for you to be legit famous? 
like that's just the pure question. It's not about the demographics. And I don't think I don't think either of us have a, an answer for this question. It's just something that I'm wondering about. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. Oh well. No, that that was an interesting conversation. I was not expecting to have tonight. <laughs> Casey, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> don't hurt me. No more. I want to thank a new sponsor Please. to the show today, and that is uh, our friends, our new friends at Flight Logger. Flight Logger is the real-time flight tracking app for worry-free travel. With Flight Logger, you can track flights in real time as well as keeping updated on departures, arrival times, delays, and cancellations. Flight Logger can even give you details on departure gates and baggage claim information as well, and you can set up fully customizable push notifications to get that data to you even when you're rushing through security. You can also sync Flight Logger with your calendar so you can automatically add upcoming flights and easily easily manage your travel schedule. All of this means less waiting, less hassle, and less to worry over. Flight Logger is available on all of your devices. You can add your flights on your iPhone, and it will automatically be synced to your iPad and Apple Watch too. And good news for Android users, Flight Logger is currently working on an Android app, which is forthcoming as well. The team over at Flight Logger know what you need when you're traveling, and that is why it's easy to use and clutter-free. It has a clean, minimalist design, an, in- an intuitive interface, which is designed to optimize screen space, only showing you the most relevant flight information. And everything is available offline, so you can still access all your travel information while in the air. Flight Logger covers around 37,000 airports worldwide, takes up just 50 megabytes of space on your device, and is completely ad-free. Now, I will say I hadn't heard about Flight Logger until they got in contact with me. Um, about doing this. And I downloaded their app and I used it to track some flights, uh, some travel that Adina was taking. Um, I have been using a competing application, which is significantly more expensive on a subscription scheme. Flight Logger does everything that I need from the other app. And all of the push notifications came through at the exact same time. I have been very impressed with Flight Logger and I'm going to be continuing to put it through its paces. But if you're looking for a flight tracking app, I really do recommend Flight Logger. So it's time to take the guesswork out of travel. Head to flightlogger.co, F-L-I-G-H-T-L-O-G-G-E-R.co. Once again, that's F-L-I-G-H-T-L-O-G-G-E-R.co. You can download it from there. It has all the information that you want, and you can upgrade your travel experience today. We thank Flight Logger for their support of this very show and Relay FM. So we're going to do a little bit of Relay Your Feels before we get into the Firefly Viewing Club. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start with Reed, who writes, Long ago, I, Mike, mentioned that he might like to move to America one day. Is that still a long-term goal? And if so, would he consider moving to Canada at first if it became easier to move there? So I think that... (laughs) Tread um, lightly. (laughs) my, My desires to live in America, some of them have changed. Practical things have changed. And it is because of political and economic climates today. So, you know, politically, I just... I don't want to move anywhere in the world right now, honestly. Because if the world is in a weird place right now. And I would prefer to see how some of this shakes out over the next few years before I would ever consider making a move of any kind. Um, if I was going to move anywhere in the world right now, you know, like with everything that I know about myself right now, America would still be at the top of the list. 
because it's the only place that I've wanted to ever live other than my own home, right? Like, it, that's still true. Uh, I just, with the way that things are politically in America right now, I wouldn't be upping and moving anywhere. But I've got at least four years before that would even be an option, right? We wait till our mortgage term is up. Um, the mortgage isn't paid off. It's up for renewal. Mm-hmm. Man, I, w- I would love to be able to pay the mortgage off in five years. Wouldn't that be sweet? Um, one, But one of the main reasons, other than just like cultural or whatever, just being closer to friends, etc., etc., one of the main reasons that I wanted to to move was because of currency exchanges the with you know the way that i am paid you know my company earns in dollars and we pay me in dollars and and i have to convert it into pounds before i can use it and over time you know that has meant that i'm losing a lot of money but with currently it's not so bad because the pound is weak (laughs) Uh, against the dollar and that's all great and that's because my country is doing all the things that my country is doing which means that our currency is getting weaker and the weaker our currency gets the more money i make honestly so that's been great um and also <laughs> uh i don't have to pay for health insurance so the more i thought about this the more serious thought that i've put in even if even if the the pound is strong again against the dollar and i'm losing money again the or stronger i should say is still strong but stronger um and i'm that's not me making any kind of like uk 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 if you just <laughs> understand anything about foreign exchange because the pound you know you you get if you want to get uh if if you have a dollar and you want to get a pound you get less than 1 pound for 1 dollar therefore meaning that the pound sterling is stronger to the dollar than the other way around right have I explained that simply enough? I think People so. That, yeah? Just basically, if, if I want to get a dollar, I'll need less than one pound to get it. So, great. And we have very similar economies as countries. So, you know, like, you know, what costs a dollar costs a pound, et cetera, et cetera. Unless companies... Look, this is getting too complicated. But anyway, <laughs> the... What you know? One of the things that I thought was like, oh, okay, so, you know, the 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 money that I save from not having to to change currencies, I get to keep that money. Well, actually, no. How much of that would go to healthcare? Yeah, yeah. And to health insurance. And then I'm like, mm, maybe I'll be worse off. So I haven't actually sat down and done the math on that. Um, I will sit down and do those maths uh, before we make any kind of uh, further thoughts on this in our lives. But as it stands right now, I'm good. And also... I've started to fall in love with London again as well, like just as a place to live. Um, so I'm, I'm good. Fair enough. For now. I can't blame you. Canada, though. Canada seems really nice, as Reese pointed out. Um, I've never been to Canada for any significant stay other than being in an airport. So uh, who knows? Yeah, maybe I would move to Canada, but I haven't seen it. You, you never went to Singleton? No. Oh. I was going to go... Um, the next year, and then yeah. they stopped. Oh, it's me and all. Yeah. I mean, well, all, no, all stopped, isn't done. I, I I know that when I finally decide that it's happening. And also, you've been saying next year for all for the last three years, so <laughs> I only did it one time. 
Jose asks, when you uh, do a job and do it well, usually that tracks to a managerial position. How did you? How do you take that change? Uh, I have never been a manager, so I can't answer this. So, first, you need to decide if you want to be a manager. Now, just making this decision doesn't mean that you're going to know this is something that you'll enjoy, but you have to make that decision if you want to be a manager because it's not fun for everyone. It's not what everyone wants to do with their work, and it's not something that everybody should aspire to be because not everyone can be a manager, right? Like, this isn't a thing that everybody can do in their lives. Like, not everyone can be a manager. If everyone could be a manager, then there would be only managers. So, you know, think about that first. You don't have to be. Really, you know, you help managers in your organization by not being one, because then it means that they have people to work within the corporate structure and within the organization. Um, If you decide that you want to be a manager, make it clear that you want to be one to your superior um, if you don't, you should also make it clear to your to your superior and explain why in both cases, right? Like, t- I think too often people think that a desire to not be a manager means that they are not committed to uh, advancing a career. And it doesn't necessarily mean that. It just means that you might have different goals. And I think it can be good to explain those different goals to people. Um, so if you, so really, if you want to take this route, if it, either route really, find it, work out what your goals are first. We're talking about taking the change, honestly, you're not going to know um, until until you do it. I thought I wanted to be a manager. Um, I didn't really want to be a manager in my company. Uh, being a manager within a corporate structure as big as a multi-global, what is it, multinational corporation, yeah, which was a bank, which had retail and and all this stuff as a part of it. It was something that I just didn't want to do with my life, you know, in the places that I was doing it. I I quickly, very quickly, just realized it's not something that I was involved in. What I do now, I help manage people and the things that they need, Right, like I, I, I manage the needs of people, but everyone feels more like a colleague than a person that works for me. I, I don't think of anybody except the person that I directly hire as such to work for me. My assistant yeah, works yeah. for me. Um, the editors that we pay work for me, work for us. Our designer works for us. Our developers work for us. There is a explicit relationship in the way it works. None of Relay FM's hosts work for us that's not how it it is we're a group of people um that have come together and there is a structure in place which is a support structure um and you know we provide assistance with things there are things that we'll ask people to do but nobody's forced to do anything um you don't work for me i don't work for you you know this is a different thing and and this is this is a situation i'm happy with also, because all the people that do work for us want to. And this isn't necessarily the case when you're a manager <laughs> inside of a big company. And that was Indeed. the main thing that I didn't like. These people didn't want to work for me. They wanted to work for themselves. And I don't mean that in a good way. I mean it in the way of they just wanted to do their own thing, even though they had a job to do. And the thing that they wanted to do wasn't always the job that they were supposed to be doing. 
right? And this is the way that things can be inside of these huge companies. People don't look at these careers. They don't look at this as a thing they really want to do. It's a thing they're forced to do. Yep, they need to pay for food somehow, so here they are. But it's not even so much that. It's, you know, I think that, that there are people, and this isn't everyone, but there are people that just, they're almost frustrated that you're asking them to do the thing they paid for, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling, yep. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope to find out one day. I'd love to at least try my hand at being a manager, and I'm a, I may be a terrible one, who knows, but I'd love to try. Why? Why do you want to do that? I just feel like it's a part of, it's a part of my career I've not explored. And I'd like to at least try it once. And it may be that I'd be terrible or it may be that I'd be great, but I want to try it. And because I'm not going to know until I try. And I feel like it would be cool to help shape somebody's career and help push them in in a direction that they want to go, you know? Maybe that's terrible reasons. I don't know. I mean, I hope that you would like it. I don't think you would. How come? Don't know. I mean, and I may be projecting because I just really didn't, but I I can't imagine you doing a good job of suffering people. Are you saying like, you don't have a high tolerance for BS? Yes, that is what I'm saying. Uh, fair enough. I, I have no retort Do you disagree with me? Uh, I think I have high tolerances for certain kinds of BS <laughs> and no tolerance for uh-huh. other kinds of BS. And it's all in what kind of BS I'm dealing with that defines my tolerance level. Mm. Does that make sense? Whether or not you agree, does that at least make sense? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, this is the same for most people. Sure. I, I, I just... You t- you could have the skills. You're a leader of men. You know you are. Uh, you know this is what you do. You mm-hmm. are. You are a leader of people. That you know. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Brent <laughs> writes in. Does Casey's job job know about his podcasting? Is that strange? <laughs> have I upset you, Casey? Are no, but I just no, I'm not upset. I just feel like this is going down a rabbit hole that neither of us want to go down because it's just going to be me saying, oh, I just want to try it, and I think it'd be fun, and you saying, eh, it's okay. No, no. If you want to try it, then I thoroughly support you. You should. Right, I just don't know. I I just think that you should have some some real concrete reasons. So when you do it, mm-hmm. um, you can think back to why you wanted to do it. That's because fair. my reason was this is the path, and that was a really bad reason. There's a little bit of that, but that it's... is a bad reason because when you do it and you don't like it, it's nothing, right? Because then you're like, oh, I don't like this, and the path. Is only more of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Just with more people. It's not a good path. <laughs> so if you want to do it, if you want to be a manager, have some real good goals about why you want to be a manager without that being because that's just what I should be doing. Yeah, I agree with that. Brent writes in, does Casey's J-O-B job know about his podcasting? Is that strange if they do? Um, they do. And in fact, I put it on my resume, which is a super self-involved thing to do. But let me tell you why. I was trying to make a change from doing .NET development to doing iOS development. And I was trying to give any reason I could 
to hire me because Mm -hmm. I don't really, or I didn't at the time, have any real idea how to write iOS apps. Like I had fast text, which pretty much everyone who ever saw it made fun of it and justifiably. So uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I was trying to give like, hey, I may not know what I'm doing, people listen to me about things and that's cool right like i'm a person in the community that's neat right um and so i did put it on my resume i did talk about it briefly during the interview but i almost never bring it up however most of my coworkers will bring it up to anyone any new employee that ever meets me much to my embarrassment this is the casey list you know? yeah no that's seriously the, you, oh, you don't even know this guy's famous speaking to of our earlier conversation and it's always like no 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 i'm not actually famous i just have a podcast that a bunch of nerds have any of the, these people that have been indoctrinated to the wonders of casey list known who you were uh there were a couple of people that i met that were already employees that knew who i was but generally speaking no are they very excited that they get to work with the casey list uh, i think it was kind of like, oh, hey, that's cool. Although that being said, uh, we're working with a third-party company called uh, Layer, and and we're doing some work with them. And um, somebody in the Slack that we have, uh, I had asked a question about their SDK, and somebody popped in ostensibly to answer the question, but they popped in and were like, oh, hey, you're here. I listen to your show. Oh, and by the way, I'll answer your question, (laughs) which that was kind of funny. The Casey list gets the answers. Yeah. Something you know? like that. Well, I Anybody didn't... else asked and they wouldn't. Oh, you didn't get the answer? No, I didn't get the answer. But he's, the person said they were going to look into it. So I guess that's good. But I don't know. They, bet they need to know who they're dealing with here. Yeah, something like that. It's a little bit strange, but for the most part, it's unremarkable. I agree with the reason for you putting it on your resume. It's what I did to help me get my job in marketing. I had no skills in marketing. I had absolutely zero marketing training. But I'd maybe showed that I could learn and that I can do things on my own and and that honestly was what helped me get the job exactly all right why don't you tell me about something that's awesome and i've been dying to hear what you thought about this episode of firefly because i'm very fearful that this is going to be very polarizing so tell me about something that's great and then hopefully tell me about how much you love the episode Today's show is brought to you by Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service with the freshest ingredients. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system. They set the highest standards for ingredients, building a community of home chefs. Every Blue Apron meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients. By shipping just the exact amount of each ingredient that you need for a recipe, as well as this being incredibly convenient because you just get all the things that you need in the bag for each meal and you just know, right, I only have to use this much of this and this much of this, which is really awesome. They're also reducing food waste, which is great. It's just a nice little bonus. Right? Like they're reducing food waste. That's good. Not only are you getting some real benefits, you're also helping on a wider, grander scale by being a Blue Apron customer, which is kind of cool. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes with fresh, high quality ingredients to make delicious home cooked meals in 40 minutes or less. Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient in your delivery arrives ready to cook or they will make it right. You can choose from a variety of new recipes every week, or let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. Right now, you can cook meals like fresh basil fettuccine pasta with sweet corn and cubanelle, cubanelle pepper. I have said this a couple of times today. C-U-B-A-N-E-L-L-E. 
I do not know what that is. Cubanelle, Cubanelle, but I'm going to go with both. Yeah, you can okay, maybe cook creamy shrimp rolls with quick pickles and sweet potato wedges, or and wedges. I know that that word is wedges, not wedges, <laughs> uh, but I said wedges anyway. You could also maybe even make seared chicken and creamy pasta salad with summer squash and sweet peppers. So here's the thing. I don't necessarily know what all the words are in those re- in those meals, but I want to eat every single one of them. So that's only a good thing, right? There's no weekly commitment, so you get your deliveries when you want them. You can check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with your first purchase by and free shipping as well just by going to blueapron.com slash analog. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So once again, go to blueapron.com slash analog and get started today. We thank Blue Apron for their support of this show and Relay FM. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So we are here for episode six of Firefly Viewing Club. We are fast approaching halfway, right? Next week is halfway. Yeah, I think that's right. I, you always ask me. I never remember what the darn number of episodes is. I believe there's either 14 or 15, I which means right. next week is basically halfway, no matter how you shape it. And this one is called Our Mrs. Reynolds, mm-hmm. is that's the right. title of the episode. I read the title of the episode twice and heard you say it on more than one occasion and didn't realize what that was in reference to. Mm-hmm. Just didn't just didn't even... I forgot that Mal's surname was Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know why you're worried about this one before I tell you what I think about it. That's completely fair. You're killing me, but that's completely fair. Uh, the reason I'm curious is because um, I feel like this one... Let me... Let me back up a half step. So one of the things I love about Firefly is that it, it, it plays, uh, it, it, it's, it's hand of cards is varied. There's some comedy, there's some action, there's some adventure, there's some character development. It's, it's, it's not just, you know, a bunch of funny people talking to each other. It's not just a bunch of action heroes running around, you know, killing people. It's a smattering of everything. And I feel like this episode played real heavy on the comedy card or at least that's how I thought of it, and slightly heavy on the character development, but everything else kind of went by the wayside. And so I could see you, and this is both Mike Hurley and the collective royal you, um, I could see you saying, oh, they jumped the shark on this. This is just them trying to be like slapstick. It's not really slapstick, but you know what I mean? Like They're just trying to be funny, and oh, it's not really working, and oh, this episode was stupid. Let's go back to the like heists and and shooting people and being in the Western, et cetera. So I could, I could understand, although I would disagree if one had that opinion, does that kind of sort of answer your question? Yeah, it does. I would say though, that I, I don't feel like this had any more or less comedy in it than any other episode for me personally. Really? Huh? I mean, it had maybe different types of comedy, right? There were people falling over and making funny faces, um, but there's comedy in all in every episode, right? Like in the last episode, uh, the end of the episode, Mao is stabbing someone for comic relief, right? Like <laughs> there's there's dumb comedy yeah, yeah. in every episode, but sometimes it differs. Um, so I'll say that I did like this episode. Good, good, good. Um, I like the intrigue, I like the twists, and I like the action. There was something that I really didn't like about it, though, and this is a thing which has been in a couple of episodes now. I don't think you'd be able to guess, 
but I would like to give you the opportunity to guess. Um, it is a, it is a, I'll say it is a structural problem with the show. Oh, I don't know then. I don't have the faintest idea. So this episode suffers from, I'm going to get into details later on, um, but I'll just say it now and then, and then as we go through and get to the end, I'll explain it in more detail because it needs, it might need a little bit of warm up and, and, and uh, refreshing in my mind. It suffers from something a few of the other episodes have, which is that I believe the episode has resolved too quickly. Oh, okay. I should have seen that coming. Okay. And this so, one... We'll get to that. Yeah, this one, I, I don't know if I'd say more than the last one, but this one is also pretty bad, and I, I would agree No, this that. one's way worse. This is the worst. This is the most egregious of all of them, and uh, I'll explain why I think that in, in a little bit. So we start off with something that doesn't really make any sense, but doesn't matter, which is why Jane and Mal and Zoe are performing this undercover operation on this planet um, to to help out people, to make some money. It's not really explained, and I don't think it matters. Right? It's, I was, you know, for the first 10 minutes of the episode or whatever, I'm like, why were they on this planet? But it kind of, I mean, unless I'm wrong, it doesn't really matter no, why doesn't. they were there or not there. Um, you know, they they... Basically, ran out a gang, and then they had this big party, and everyone was drunk, and Mal uh, danced with a lady, uh, that kind of thing. But nothing really happened, you know, uh, of of much. You know, it, it was it was what it was, and then they kind of got on the ship, right? And it, this is where everything kicks off because uh, there is a woman on the ship surprises Mal and then I have two holy crap moments holy crap moment number one is I'm your wife that was a big surprise <laughs> holy crap moment number two was when I realized this was Christina Hendricks <laughs> fair enough yeah because it's just another of these situations where it's like I know who you are like we had Zac Efron last time yeah we have Christina Hendricks this time um, yep. So that that was funny. Uh, Christina Hendricks, she played um, who did she play in Mad Men? What was her name? I've never seen it, but I know what you're thinking of. Oh, I've looked this up already, and I've written it down somewhere in my notes here. Um, she played Joan in Mad Men. Great character in Mad Men, Joan. Um, so I was I was very surprised to see uh, another one, Christina Hendricks. Is it Hendrix or Kendrick? I think it's Hendrix. Hendrix. I cannot read my own handwriting. Oh, story of my uh, life. I can never read anything I write down. So I loved uh, Jane got given this like rain stick thing, like a rain thing. It's meant to call the rain. You know, they, they've mm. got names to them. It's an actual musical instrument. I've seen one in. I remember it from uh, my primary school music teacher. She had one. Um, I can't remember what they're called. Um. So, but they, they, I mentioned this because there was a good line in which Jane says, "You got a wife. Uh, all I got was a stick," which I thought was quite funny. Yep. And again, um, I know that they were drunk, but like, I really like couldn't understand why Jane was so happy at the time to receive the rain stick thing. Like, he was just over the moon, like really super excited to get the the rain stick thing. Yeah. 
Um, we get uh, Inara looking. She's very unhappy about the fact that those are Mrs. Reynolds. Everyone else thinks this, this is hilarious. Oh, yeah. They're just losing it. Well, not Shepard Book, actually. He didn't think it was terribly funny, but Inara definitely didn't think it was funny. Oh, he makes fun of him. He does a little. You're right. He makes fun of Mal. Like, everyone thinks this is funny on different levels, except for Inara. She sees no happiness, joy, or fun in this in any stretch of the imagination. No. <laughs> and I love, I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but speaking of Shepard Book, um, he, they're talking about, you know, what, what to do about this situation because it comes to light that it, when she, when Christina Hendricks, um, who we later find out her character's name is Saffron, when she gave Mal like a, a copper bowl or something they like did that. this. No, they did this dance where she put a reef on his head. Mm-hmm. And by putting the reef on his head and performing this dance and she and he takes a drink from a drink that she provides that was a wedding ceremony in the religion of the place the planet that they were on right um so they're talking about what to do about this and and uh you know shepherd book realizes that, that it's a marriage and so of course mal immediately says well what does the book say about divorce so blah 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 so shepherd book talks to mal about it and he shepherd book knows where this is probably going and so Shepherd Book says something to the effect of, "I have the actual okay, quote. I, I took I, great pains to, I, to, to 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 write it down from the TV. Okay, I good because so I, I thought I did, but I was too, I was afraid to say with certainty that it was verbatim. But if you know it's verbatim, would you please take over and tell it me is. what Shepherd Book said? If you take sexual advantage of her, you're going to burn in a special level of hell, a level they reserve for child molesters and people who talk in the theater." <laughs> It's great. And then he keeps referring to this level of hell um, in many different ways throughout the whole episode. I really liked it a lot. Yeah. And so at some point, uh, well, I'm skipping all over and I'm sorry, but um, later on, uh, it turns out that that Saffron is actually uh, a plant and she's not wed to well ostensibly not wed to mal and she's just there to take over the ship and so she kisses mal and we'll come back to that in a minute and there's some sort of like narcotic or whatever on her lips which knocks mal out and so they discover mal the crew discovers mal later and one of them says oh you two were kissing and so shepherd book is standing there and says oh isn't that special (laughs) so it's like one of those great allusions back to uh to what he was saying about a special kind of hell which i just thought was hysterical um but i'm jumping over uh did you enjoy the exchange between uh actually interesting choice of words the exchange between jane and mal yeah it was a real shocker right like so uh, there's been some conversation between saffron and mal and like saffron um, offers to wash his feet, mm-hmm. which apparently is a thing in this world. I guess. Because he asks Inara about it, and she's like, it's one of my talents. Like, apparently feet washing is a... Is a thing. Somewhat sexual thing in in this future land. Um, but yeah, he comes out of uh, Inara's quarters, and Jane has got a gun. And is and not looking like, happy. Oh. Yeah, I was like, here we go. It's all kicking off. Um, and he, he does not look happy. And what he's actually not happy about is he wants a, a wife like Saffron. And he wants to trade with Mal uh, to trade his wife because, you know, Mal has, has shown that he is not pleased about this situation that he is in. Uh, Jane wants to trade uh, Saffron for his gun. <laughs> 
What did which he, he named. I didn't catch the name of the gun, Vera, but I know he I named the gun. Yeah, it was Vera, I believe. And okay. uh, what does he say about the gun? It's like, this is my very favorite gun. Or something like that, just the way. He yeah, says and he it. tells his story about how he got the gun, and yeah, like yeah. it's it's really means a lot to him. This gun. Oh man, it's so funny. So Mal eventually realizes what's happening. So, Are you offering me a trade? <laughs> it's just completely dumbfounded by it. Oh, it's so funny. So then, fast forward to so so you know, Saffron and Mal are in are in um, Mal's quarters. And ostensibly, you know, she's offering herself to him. And um, it's just that whole exchange, which you have to remember, this was network television, right? So they had to play it as PG as they could, or as uh, that may not translate to British uh, movie ratings. They had to play it, you know, for mm-hmm, mixed audiences. Okay. They had to play it for mixed audiences. And so um, they're talking, she's like talking about offering her flesh to him or something like that. And then, she, you know, she's uh, naked under the covers and she like drops the cover. Uh, well, hey, Flash says Mal. <laughs> so uh, then, the, you know, they're they're having this conversation about you know uh, about having sex, and 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 it's it's done in kind of like biblical terms, and so. Uh, Mal says, she's like, she says something like, oh, you know, I, I'd be honored to have, you know, you plow my field or something like that. It, it's terrible the way it's phrased, but whatever. And so Mal's like, well, it's been a long, a long damn while since anyone but me took a hold of my plow or something like that. Like this whole conversation yeah. was just hysterical to me. And so she like stands up and comes up to him and, 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 you know, she's, she's naked at this point. And so she says, I swell to think of you in me. I see you do too. Like all these like kind of tongue in cheek exchanges just cracked me up. Like the way it was phrased, I just thought was hysterical. And then she, this is where she kisses him and then he passes out. Yeah. So um, here, obviously she does a good job of seducing Mal when he's trying his best to resist. Mm -hmm. And also earlier in the episode, there's a scene in which um, Mal starts to confide in her about something from his past and then Mm -hmm. realizes what he's doing. And both of these things are elements of the fact that Saffron has received some kind of training um, as a companion, which Inara can sense in her. Right. Because a little later on in the episode, she tries to seduce Inara, but Inara figures her out and is like, who are you? Like, she can realize what's going on here. Um and yeah, so and then she kind of says later, like, oh, she can only have the skills that she has because she's obviously been through some companion training because of the proficiency that she has as seduction. Yeah, it, um, I love the exchange once the two of them realize that they're playing each other because one of them is like, oh, you're good. And the other one's like, you're amazing. And it's just like that, that you can tell we're going to maybe not literally, but we're going to kill each other. But that mutual respect at how good they are at doing that sort of thing, I just thought it was it was very well done. So I wanted to take a moment to mention like the some of the awkwardness that is in this episode up until the moment before um, they kiss and Mal passes out, mm-hmm. which is like the Saffron's character up until this point, or and then we can then deduce the 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 women of the planet that they came from are like effectively like servants. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's really uncomfortable to watch um, because she'll do anything for him, whatever he asks, no matter what it is, because she's just so happy to be married and that this is how all women are for the men and the men, uh, the women are all like 
sold off or married off to whatever man it is that comes to town and that kind of thing. The show does a good job of balancing her against Zoe. Like, there are some interactions, yes, 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 yes. right? Um, where, like, you know, she where Saffron's cooked a meal for Mal and uh, Zoe and Wash come to, to, to the area and, like, uh, Zoe's kind of given... He's like joking around and stuff and giving Wash some crap, right? Because mm-hmm. he's like, oh, it looks like a really good meal. And then, you know, they're kind of like joking around with each other and she's just like, I ain't doing it. You know, that kind of thing. And it's, it's it, there's a good, it's good, right? Especially because earlier in the episode as well, like Zoe saves the day, right? Like when, uh, right at the very beginning, Mal and Jane are dressed in dresses, right? They're dressed... Well, no, Mao is Mao is dressed as a woman and Jane is dressed as a man and they're playing a couple. And then someone's like, I can't remember who it was that asked it, but like, why didn't Zoe dress in a dress? And then Mao's something along the lines of, well, like, we needed someone to save us, right? Like, we needed her to protect us. And like, so they, 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 they build Zoe up in this way and then they have Saffron in the way that they, they build her character and they, they play against each other, they're juxtaposed against each other. Um, but it still doesn't detract from the fact that the whole, all the Saffron stuff is like really awkward up until the point when you realize that she's in this for herself and she's actually poisoning, she poisons Mal, tries to uh, tempt Wash, but he resists. So then she just kicks him in the head. Um, and then they, I think they kind of overbalance a little bit for Saffron. Like they, cause she does this, we, the rewiring mm-hmm. of the ship mm-hmm. to take it on a particular course. And like, everyone is like, she is the most talented yeah, yeah, yeah. person we must have ever met. Like it's, they go too far in the other direction. Right, because I feel like they're trying to just tip the scales. Like they went too far in one direction, then they went too far in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Like to try and to counterbalance her. When I, I feel like that they made it just a like a little bit, just a little bit too much. Right, like I was cool with her being like super wily. She can poison him. She can knock someone out. She knows what she's doing to to rewire the ship. But like for for both Kaylee and Wash to be like this is going to take us hours because she's so talented and skilled. And like, it's like, okay, we're going a bit too far. We, we get it. We get it. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, we can see how good she is. You don't need to tell us how good she is. Yeah. I felt like that they met that was a little bit too on the nose for me, that part. Um, I, but you know, I, I liked all of everything. that she, I liked everything that she was doing, but I think that the exposition was a bit too strong in that part. Um, and it, yeah, it turns out that Saffron was working with other scavengers or scrappers, as they've called. And this is where the the episode completely falls apart for me. <laughs> yeah, so basically, the, she wires the ship to go through like a, a net, effectively, and mm-hmm. go go figure. They're able to figure out a way to get through the net or avoid the net. I think they went through the net. Uh, actually, coincidentally, using uh, Vera the gun in a clever way actually i thought it was interesting because um jane says oh in order to use the gun it needs oxygen and so what they end up doing is putting it in a spacesuit and firing it through the helmet 
uh, because they were outside the ship when they fired it for reasons I don't recall that aren't really terribly important. Um, but anyway, so they avoid the inevitable disaster that would have been um, them getting caught in the net. And then they somehow immediately, found, oh, I guess they traced the shuttle to, or they, no, they, they figured where the shuttle could possibly have made it to with the fuel within it. And there were convincingly, or not convincingly, conveniently was only one option. So they go to that planet and sure enough, there's Saffron just waiting effectively for them, which is a little bit weird. Um, and then, you know, Mal and Saffron confront each other and there's that. And then it just kind of ends. So, yeah, I do agree. My with you. problem is the resolution of the situation that they found themselves in. So they have set up this entire episode. This entire episode, which has been a really good episode, is building towards whatever it is Saffron's end game is, and our end game is to sell them to these scavengers or whatever. They spend, I maybe think, twice as much time talking about what the net is than the way in which they resolve the situation, <laughs> which is Jane shoots one bullet and destroys it. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Like, I don't know. And I, I, I found that to be frustrating because it's like they do such a good job telling these stories, and this, this was the same in the last episode as well, but the payoffs are too quick. Like, I don't know why they they don't, like, this isn't like a monster of the week thing. There are, like, long-running stories that are running through the show. I feel like that they were, like, super scared of the idea of having an episode or an idea or a story of part of an episode run for more than one episode. Yeah. Like, this could have run over two episodes. Yeah, I can understand that. And I think, I think the moral of the story is that they seem throughout the entire run to have the aspirations of movies but the time and the money of television and that's just yep it's hard to it's hard to square that circle right i mean it's just a difficult thing to make work um but be that as it may i do think if you take it at face value i think it they do a good job given the constraints they have but by no means is it flawless something we shouldn't forget before we go um Inara kisses Mel because she thinks Mel's dead and then she gets some of the residual effects of the poison. But it's just interesting to note because that shows that there's this care and then Mel confronts her at the end. Uh, Inara is about to admit to the fact that she kissed him and then uh, Mal just thinks that it that 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 Inara kissed Saffron. Yeah, yeah. Like, and why that's would how she got the poison? Yeah, why would Inara have kissed me? She clearly kissed Saffron, which is hysterical. But it never even came into his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing I, I'm surprised you didn't pick up on already, but and I, again, this quote may not be verbatim, but somebody says to a Book, "One of these days, you're going to have to tell us how a preacher knows so much about crime." And I was surprised. Oh, you didn't I, pick yeah, up I did on pick up on that. Okay. I did. I did. I, I just uh, either didn't write it down or uh, fair I've enough. missed it. No, no worries. But uh, I thought that I was thinking of you when that was said because I was like, oh, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm hoping Mike for that sooner that. rather than later, honestly. That really, this is something that I, I really want to see more of in the next episode. So I hope that we get that. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but no, I, I really enjoyed this one. I just, I was laughing a lot throughout this entire episode. And yes, I agree with you. And, you know, kind of just wraps itself up at the end, which is a little bit weird. Um, but I do think it was just a very funny, very good episode. And I really enjoyed it. Even, 
you know, even those issues be darned. So next episode, uh, we're going to be up to episode seven of Firefly. Um, so please watch along. And also as well, uh, I would love some more Relay Your Feels questions. So if you just send us a tweet with the hashtag Relay Your Feels, you can ask us questions about anything. Um, and we can answer them on future episodes of the show. So we'd really appreciate that. So just tweet with the hashtag Relay Your Feels, and we can pick those up for a future episode. Excellent. Yeah, the next one is called Janestown, which is uh, also, I wouldn't say it's polarizing, but also one I'm very anxious to hear hear your thoughts about it. I'm assuming we're maybe going to find out more about Jane than book, but we'll see. Yeah. So uh, check out Janestown next. <laughs>